Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. Now, there is no cookie cutter approach to managing money, but what we can do is look at our current financial situation and first of all, look at it from a place of gratitude and look at it from a place of what you do have rather than what you don't have. There's an amazing amount of power in recognizing from a positive perspective, what do we already have rather than going at it from a place of self-sabotage and guilt and shame. Welcome back. I hope your week's been just fantastically awesome so far. If you haven't heard my recent conversations with author of The Human Factor, David Chantal, and with founder and principal consultant at Listen, Innovate, Grow, Michael Haynes, then do check them out, but only after you've listened to today's conversation, of course. I'm really excited today to have on the InnovaBuzz podcast as my guest, Catherine Morgan. She's a multi-award-winning qualified financial planner and award-winning financial coach. She's on a mission to reduce financial anxiety and increase financial empowerment and resilience for one million women around the world. Featured as one of the top 32 female entrepreneurs to look out for in Business Leader, host to the Top 1% Global podcast In Her Financial Shoes, and she's also founder of The Money Panel. In our conversation today, Catherine talked to me about why financial education is not sufficient to fill the financial knowledge gap. We talked about the physical, practical and emotional needs to consider around money. And we talked about money mindsets and stretching your financial comfort zone. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Catherine Morgan. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Castlethorpe in England, the United Kingdom, Catherine Morgan, who's a multi-award-winning qualified financial planner, an award-winning financial coach, and CEO of the Money Panel. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Catherine. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Thank you so much. And um, it's really funny, actually. I've literally moved countries since we connected. So I'm now on the beautiful island of Jersey, which is a tiny little island. It's nine by five miles long, um, and it's sandwiched in between the south coast of England and the north coast of France. 
Oh, okay. And is Jersey an independent country or does it belong to the UK? Yeah, it's a good question. So it's not part of the United Kingdom, but it's part of the British Isles. So it's kind of, it's under the crown, so to speak, of, of Britain, but it has its own states, its own, its own parliamentary system, its own tax rules. So it's kind of, um, yeah, it's its own independent island. It's, it's got some amazing, uh, it's, it's kind of like Cornwall, Devon. If you've ever been to the UK, it's like Cornwall or Devon on an island. So that's the best way to describe yeah. it with a little bit of a kind of French influence. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, I've learned something new already today. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, Natasha Varompiova and Lisa Johnson both suggested that we have you on the show. Natasha was our guest on episode 311 and Lisa on 364. So they suggested we have a conversation with you. So big hello to both Natasha and Lisa. Absolutely. Thank you, girls, for recommending me. The, so Lisa and Natasha are in a collective mastermind that I'm in with them. We were all due to meet up actually this year and go and visit Richard Branson in Necker Island. And of course, due to COVID, yeah, yeah. I can't believe we're saying the C word already. Um, that's been rearranged for next year. So I've never met Natasha, um, but lovely to be recommended to your show. Excellent. Oh, well, that sounds like fun. Well, I'll have to touch base with you again about that next year and find out um, what the experience was like. Yeah. Now, before we talk about um, financial things, well, what's the impact you're making in the world today, Catherine? Yeah, Joe, thank you for starting with that um, because I'm a, a huge impact lever, impact inspired leader. So everything I do centers around my vision and our mission in the world. And we were very clear from that when we first created the business. And that really is about helping to equip and prepare a billion women to be financially resilient, to help them to become financially independent, not codependent. And in order to do that, it's really about helping women with two things. The first one is about helping them to have a healthy relationship with money. So that's things like our habits, our belief systems, our behaviors. And then it's about on top of that, learning the practical steps. And I often find, particularly in the personal finance space, it tends to be the practical things that people talk about and people think mm. that they need to know more about. But actually, from my personal experience of having 20 years in financial services and 10 years of that being in debt cycles, that actually, even though you can know everything there is to know about managing your money and investing and growing your wealth, actually what matters the most is how we make decisions around money and how we make decisions around money is often based on our emotional responses, trauma responses, and actually what we've learned around money growing up. And particularly for women, that can be a really difficult subject. You know, a lot of people say money is the taboo subject. Money's not a taboo subject. It's the meaning that we attach to it that becomes the taboo mm -hmm. subject. So really that's our mission in the world is to equip and prepare a billion women to be financially resilient, to get rid of all of those limiting beliefs and actually step into wealth. Mm, yeah, that's, that's great. And there's so much to unpack there that, you know, you triggered a whole lot of thoughts in my mind. Um, immediately when you started talking, I thought, well, most people, when they talk about money and financial planning, they give you the mechanics. Uh, here's how to do a budget. Here's how to, here's how to, um, invest wisely you know these are the steps you need to do and the the thing really is what meaning do we attach to money and what's your mindset around money 
and one of the things that I, I'm starting to take a lot more active role in my long-term investments and it's always interesting to see you know shares for example in the portfolio they increase in value and decrease in value and it goes up and down all the time and and I've you know come to realize that all of that is a reflection of people's behavior and people's attitude towards that particular stock rather than you know that of course there's fundamentals and intrinsic value and stuff but it's all about behavior so why do you think it is that people and and maybe women in particular have kind of this well have limiting beliefs around money that that get in the way of becoming more wealthy or achieving the wealth that they perhaps aspire to i think there's a number of things at play and actually this is relevant for both men and for women but typically women tend to be more um financial enablers so you know if you think about our dna men hunter gatherers women are the caregivers and actually in, in society now you know those roles can be reversed and in some countries and some cultures it can be see be perceived as very normal like maybe that the woman is the main breadwinner and the man maybe is looking after the children at home for example and and in some cultures it can be almost like that never happens but if you think about human dna going back many 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 years you know those are the typical kind of traits if you like is that is the man is the hunter gatherer he goes out and provides and the woman is the caregiver so particularly for women they struggle with this financial enabling which actually is a psychological disorder it's called fawning most people have heard of fight flight and um uh what's the, what's the other one fight flight or freeze um that's how the brain copes with trauma but actually fawning is a psychological a response when we don't feel safe and often that is perceived with things like undercharging in our businesses people pleasing uh giving up our time very freely uh comparing ourselves to other people you know all of those kind of behaviors will kind of surface and those are some of the things that limit us so i think actually for both men and for women the way that our relationship is formed can come from so many influences it can come from society and the influences that society have on us around money it can come from religious influences generational patterns around money um personal experiences and then kind of a lack of financial education and all of those things i i guess i could talk about um in detail but but i think the biggest one for me is the generational trauma the patterns the reoccurring patterns of limiting beliefs that actually hold us back because if you think about it the the brain's main purpose is to keep us safe and so it will do its very best to consistently remind us of experiences or times that are in the brain's mind correct um and so when we for example when we overspend that's because our brain feels safe to overspend because it brings us back into our comfort zone it makes no logical sense to overspend it makes no logical sense um to be in debt or to be spending more than we earn but money's not logical is it so it's mm. this kind of crazy worthiness world of what happens is we attach our sense of self directly to money you know if i have more money i'll be a better person i'll be happier for example well we know that that's not true we know that 
even if we earn more than, I think the statistics now show if we earn more than about $75,000, we're no happier than if we earn less than that. But psychologically, we're all on this rat race of how can I make more money, yeah. right? How can I make more money the quickest? Like, give me all the secrets, give me all the hacks. And and actually, that's because we we want this dopamine hit. We want this kind of, this feeling of safety, of being financially secure, of having enough money for the rest of our lives. And so that's really interesting is to think about, you know, what are some of those generational patterns that you've just inherited from parents, grandparents, even further back through the generations? And, and actually, which of those patterns are serving you and which of them are sabotaging you? Hmm. Yeah, I love the love that, you know, did sort of really looking at those beliefs and finding out you know, what, what's actually serving me and what's in the way. Mm. I know for me, I mean, I I could recite all the sayings off the top of my head still today, many, many years later after my childhood. You know, money doesn't grow on trees. Um, you know, unless you work really hard, you'll never get anywhere and, and those kind of things. And, and, you know, whilst there's an element of truth in that and of course my parents grew up through the second world war so that's the generation that you know they were robbed of their childhood and you know had to kind of grow up very quickly and then had to um, make something of themselves with very limited opportunities initially but at the same time you know you carry those beliefs forward and and you forget about well those beliefs probably served them really well, but it's a different time now. So do they serve me? That's really interesting. I mean, the, the exercise I always play out when I, so I, I train financial professionals to become financial coaches and financial coaches is really where all this work centers. You know, this money mindset work is really around what financial coaching is all about um, over here in the UK. And one of the exercises I always take them through to get them to take their clients through is you can literally imagine that you're walking down the road dressed as Father Christmas. Okay, this is always a bit of fun. So maybe you're Mr. Claus or Mrs. Claus, and over your shoulder, you've got this giant sack. And inside that sack is a whole bunch of gifts that are borrowed gifts, they're borrowed beliefs. And inside those gifts, if you imagine sort of unwrapping them on Christmas Day, you've got almost like a little piece of paper that's like one of those Japanese um, oh, what do you call them? The little, fortune yeah, the fortune cookies. <laughs> like It's like, imagine you're unwrapping that and inside that is a little piece of paper that's got a message on there. Now, some of those messages will ultimately serve you in life. You know, even ones that we perceive to be negative. So money doesn't grow on trees, for example. Well, the positive um, consequence of holding on to that belief might be that you're just a really hard worker. You know, you're a grafter, you, you put all the hours into your business, you're already committed because your belief is that I have to work hard in order to make money. So obviously the counter side of that, if you imagine that borrowed belief in your, in your sack, is that, well, if your belief is that you have to work hard for money, then you're always going to be working hard. You know, you might read the four day week or um, you know, the, the multiple books out there that tell us we don't have to work five days a week in our business or 100 hours a week. But even when you read it, you don't really follow it because the reason we don't follow it is because our core belief, our brain is still reminding us, oh, no, no, but you still have to work hard to make money. 
So what I always think about when I'm working with clients is, well, out of those borrowed beliefs, how are they serving you and how are they sabotaging you? And often one of the beliefs that we have out of all of the core beliefs that are in that bag, there'll be one or two in there that will be the most powerful core beliefs. And actually, those core beliefs have been probably passed down through the generations. I mean, most of our relationship with the world is formed in that very early imprinting period between the age of birth and the age of six, seven. And for those of you who have children will know because they get to like seven, like my youngest is eight now, and they get to the age of seven and they start to question everything. And it's like, well, you used to do everything I told you to do and now you're not. Like this is it's because their brain's actually growing. It's developing, it's, it's developing that muscle for them to to challenge things in the world, to form their own beliefs, their own influences. But up until that point, everything that they've seen, they've heard, everything around them, their perception of the world has all been from that age. And, and, and actually there's lots of research to show it goes even way beyond that, like it goes into past generation um, through epigenetics. This is the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton where he talks about it from a science mm -hmm. perspective that you know, everything in life is energy and that energy is stored in our epigenetics and, and therefore it's passed through our DNA, through the generations. Now, what's interesting about that is where you just shared that example about parents being in the war. Well, I mean, most parents or grandparents would have grown up post-war, you know. So my mum, for example, um, she was born in the 1950s. Her father was in the Japanese prisoner of war camps in the Second World War. He survived. He came out weighing like five and a half stone. Um, but actually, the, the generational imprint of that scarcity, that not enoughness, that limited societal trauma, really, left a huge imprint on my mum and her brothers and sisters. And through epigenetics, that's been carried through into my beliefs, my core beliefs, that there's never enough, there's not enough. And I reckon most of us in this generation have this perception that we're never going to have enough, which is why we're striving for better health, better relationships, better phones, like better everything. We're always striving for more. And then you layer on top of that things like consumerism, and that plays on that psychological mm. you know, response. Um, and, and what it does is it creates something called a cognitive dissonance or a cognitive distortion. So a cognitive distortion is where we should on ourselves. I always feel like I'm swearing when I say that. But we should on ourselves. Like I should make yeah, that's money. Right. I should be making more money. I should be make, you know, I should be doing better than I currently am. We should on ourselves. And when we say things like I am, you know, I am bad with money, that's when we're connecting our sense of self, who we are, our identity to money. You know, and that can be perceived in so many ways. When we're in debt, for example, I spent all of my 20s in debt and, and I told myself, I have debt, therefore I am bad. And it wasn't until I really started to dig underneath, actually, I'm not a bad person. What was holding me back was the guilt and the shame that was associated with having debt. As a financial advisor, you can imagine the added layer of guilt and shame of telling everybody else what they should be doing, but not following it for myself. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot, lot there, and I'm a huge fan of uh, Bruce Lipton, particularly his book, The Biology of Belief. It's uh, there's so much um, 
really fascinating stuff there. I mean, as a scientist, I, um, it really um, piques my interest and there's a lot of really great explanations there in terms of what, you know, what triggers some of these beliefs at a scientific level and, mm. and it allows you to sort of step back and remove it from your identity. You pointed out that uh, particularly we use this I am language. I am bad at this or I, I'm not a, uh, I'm not good at sports or I'm not good at uh, money management. I'm not good at business. I'm not good at um, whatever. And it becomes an identity thing. Whereas, whereas, um, you know, I, I like to kind of remind myself and remind others when they say things like that to reframe that saying and saying, well, I can't do that yet. Which kind of, you know, it's a very subtle change in language, but it immediately opens up the possibility that I can learn to do that. That That's interesting, actually, because when I think about that, I can't do that yet. So that's about expansion, isn't it? You're expanding that from it's not possible. It's not possible for me. Um, it's not possible for me yet. Um, and I would even go a step further that it's the first part of that statement that's more important than the second part. So. Mm -hmm. is possible for me um or, or you know it is possible it is possible for me and then there's a really interesting difference there isn't there like it, it is possible in the world it is possible mm -hmm. for me and I, I think that whole reframe of language is really really powerful but it's not just the reframe of language it's about looking at the core beliefs that are attached to our language so we talk about money narratives in, in our business this is about understanding what are the reoccurring stories that we tell ourselves continuously about money that keep us stuck in that story. Um, and, and the way I kind of look at this is if you imagine you were the director of a film and you were directing something that's completely new, how would you direct that film differently? You know, what elements of those core beliefs would you want to keep that are supporting you? And what elements of that story do you want to change that are going to be more supportive for the life that you deserve and that you want to live. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. But so write your own story, and and then um, I think that's a really powerful way to look at any kind of beliefs or values and behaviours is to kind of step out of it as if as if you're the director of your life and and write the script. I don't I don't like this bit, so I'm going to rewrite that. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also about feeding that story, right? We can we can set and write the new story, but we've got to be motivated. And often what mm. stops us from being motivated is a lack of alignment. Like I'm sure like when you speak to entrepreneurs on your podcast, like you must hear people talking about vision, values, purpose, all of these things. And and often what happens is, particularly in business, is we look at what everybody else is doing. And then we yeah. try and create a business based on that. And we don't actually really take it back to the, the misalignment. Like, you know, how do we make sure that we're building a business that's fully aligned with how we want to live and how we want to feel? Because, I mean, I, I don't know about, I don't know about you, Jürgen, but I've definitely at times in my business built things that haven't really felt quite right. But I've done it anyway mm. because maybe my mentors told me to do it or somebody else is doing it and they're making loads of money. And then at the end of it, I'm either exhausted or I'm just really not enjoying it. And I think that, yeah. that comes back to this whole 
misalignment. You know, we need to get into a place where we can feel emotionally involved in our businesses um, so that that provides the motivation for us to want to change our habits and our beliefs and our behaviors. That motivational bit is really, really important. Yeah, that's a that's a really critical thing, I think. And and we've all made that mistake, if you like. I mean, you, you sort of take on clients in the early days because I need the money. <laughs> so and you you don't ask yourself, you know, is this client aligned with? Is, are their values aligned with my values? Is it going to be fun working with them? I had a guest on recently, and and he boiled it down to just two things, and he said. Um, is this um actually i can't remember the second one now it it was kind of like is this in alignment with my values but will this be fun you know and there were two simple questions that anyone can if they ask themselves those questions can answer you know by clicking their fingers it's, it's sort of instant answer yes or no and he said and if it's a no on either one of those i don't do it mm. so, really brilliant yeah I love well you know, being better at money management is kind of such a big umbrella thing. And, and um, if I, I can imagine if I were to say, well, I need to get better at money management, it becomes this big, overwhelming thing that I never get to. What are, what are some of the little habits that we can do or we can start to practice to make a difference? Yeah, great question. The first thing I would want you to do actually is to change the language around that because when often when we go out with the 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 narrative I want to manage my money I'm a big believer in actually it's not about managing or controlling anything like this is about being in a in a state of flow like I know many people have heard of this concept you know of law of attraction or money being able to flow and, and really, it's about the emotional aspect of that. You know, if, if, if any of you follow the work of Brené Brown, Brené Brown talks about our emotional needs as much as our physical and psychological needs. So when I think about money, I always think about a, a few things. I think about what's the physical need, the practical need, and the emotional need. So the physical need is how we want to essentially tell our nervous system that it's safe. How do we do that? Like before we go into the action steps, we want to feel good about this conversation. We want to feel good about actually looking at money. And so from a physical perspective, you know, we, this is where we can work with the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is, is, is a nerve, very powerful nerve in the body that connects the heart with the brain. So it's, it's responsible for the slowing down in the nervous system and regulation of the nervous system. So, so you know, when you get that, that feeling of, oh, God, I've got to look at my bank statements or, you know, we get tightness in the chest, like, yeah. oh, this feeling in the stomach, um, maybe in the hands, in the throat, like it can, it can be very physical. And the vagus nerve is responsible for telling our body whether it's safe and it regulates the nervous system. You know, it has this amazing ability to scan the entire body, read all the information that's going on and bring it all the way back to the brain up to the frontal cortex, which is where we make decisions about money. So there's a few things, very simple things that you might think will have no impact whatsoever, but try these things because this will help to strengthen the vagal tone of the, the vagus nerve. So things like having a really cold glass of water, you know, practicing mindfulness, even humming, humming actually 
um, you know, <laughs> all of that actually creates vibration, which stimulates the vagus nerve. And it tells the brain then that we're okay. It's safe. Like it's safe to look at your bank account. Um, so that the physical, the physical side, I think is really, really important because when we feel good, we do good, you know, and, but if we want to do good, we have to feel good first. So it's almost like going one or two steps back. Don't go straight to the practical. How do I manage my money? Well, let's first of all, have a look at how you feel about money. Let's have a look at all those limiting beliefs. And, and maybe those things are what's triggering your nervous system to feel um, misaligned or disconnected in some way because your mentor's telling you build all these recurring revenue streams and you'll be a multimillionaire but yet your core beliefs are I have to work hard to make money and there's a disconnect yeah. there so the, the physical side I think is really important to look at the practical side then for me there's two golden rules around this one is um, get financially naked and two is to give every pound a purpose so what I mean by get financially naked is not literally to get naked when you're looking at money. <laughs> but this is like an opportunity. That would fall under the feeling. <laughs> that would be a different podcast episode. <laughs> um, but, you know, getting financially naked for me is about stripping everything back to basics. And almost like you were, you know, you're waking up in the morning and you're opening your wardrobe and you're deciding what to wear. You know, you're building up the layers, you're seeing what goes with what, you know, you're coordinating things, you're looking at your style, what's your favorite colors. You know, there is no cookie cutter approach to managing money. Um, but what we can do is look at our current financial situation. And first of all, look at it from a place of gratitude. And look at it from a place of what you do have rather than what you don't have. There's an amazing amount of power in recognizing from a positive perspective, what do we already have, rather than going at it from a place of self-sabotage and guilt and shame. You know, so when we come at money from a place of, oh, I wish I'd had invested 10 years ago. I wish I'd had done this 15 years ago. I wish, I wish, I wish. All that does is put our brain back into a state of financial past. Um, and that's never going to really be supportive of us building wealth. So it's about looking forwards, not just looking back. So getting financially naked for me is about really, you know, on a once a quarter, you know, once every six months, going and having a look at your bank statements, looking at your outgoings, questioning whether they need to be the same. Can you reduce them? Can you remove them? Um, and putting money into pots so that you've always got money put aside for specific purposes. So for those of you who um, have read Mike Michalowicz's book, Profit First. Oh, yeah, that's, that's magic. It's, yeah, it's an incredible, it, I read that book about six years ago. I read it twice because it was so good and I bookmarked the hell out of it. So definitely get the physical <laughs> book if you're going to get it. Um, and I read it twice on, on a, a holiday. And I actually, when I interviewed Mike on my podcast, um, I showed him all the bookmarks and he, I think he said, no one's ever bookmarked it as much as I had. But for me, it was like this light bulb moment had gone off because if we think about the psychological aspects of money, when we give money a specific purpose, psychologically, we're kind of earmarking that money for that mm. particular purpose. 
And so often what prevents people from managing money really well is the unexpected things. You know, the car breaks down, the washing machine blows up, um, you lose a member of staff, you know, something happens unexpectedly. And the power of profit first is that you're always putting money in pots right from when it's received. And so you're always thinking about what might happen. You're always thinking about your profit margins, your tax that you're going to have to pay, your maybe your VAT, you're your, you know, paying yourself first. And, and the profit first model for me, which I run in my business, I run it on a slightly simplified version, but that's really powerful if you take that same principle of rather than what your accountant tells you, which is income, all your sales minus all your expenses is what you have left to pay yourself. You completely reverse that model and you look at income minus your profit, what you're paying yourself equals your expenses. So all of a sudden it starts to change the way that you operate your finances in business from managing all the ex um, all, all the income minus the expenses and whatever's left is what you pay yourself to actually focusing on the expenses you know, where are you leaking money in your business? How could you run a more cost-effective, profitable business? Um, and you can apply that to your personal finances too. That's right, yeah. You know, so money comes yeah. in. Sorry. It turns it around to, to get you to think in terms of this is what I have, so I can, I can either afford to spend on this particular thing I want or, no, I don't have the money. I, don't, I can't afford to spend on that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing worse than budgeting, right? Who wants to limit their money? Like, <laughs> if you look up the word budgeting, you know, it, it links back to government policies of, you know, of mm. controlling money when the economy is struggling. Who wants to manage money like that? You know, this is about giving every pound a purpose as if it was a member of staff arriving at your desk you know, every single pound that's in your account is like a little person arriving at your desk on a Monday morning, and you've got to give it a job. You've got to give it a purpose. You know, how are you choosing to give your money a purpose? And specifically, what is most important to you? Not based on society, not based on Mr. and Mrs. Jones, not based on what your parents would want you to do. What is specifically going to help to serve you that's going to bring purpose and meaning to your life. And the reason I say that is there's so many people that I work with, for example, where I'll take a lady I worked with last week. She spends about £200 a month on books, absolutely loves reading. And when we did her spending plan creation together, the first thing she said was, oh, God, I'm spending so much money on books. Like, I feel really guilty about that. My husband's always moaning at me. Like, she was really stuck in in shame and guilt around that. And when we looked at her values, her financial values, her core value was knowledge. Yeah. So it was like, that's okay to spend that amount of money. You know, as long as you're not giving That's important, issues. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's important to her. So giving every pound a purpose is just a really interesting way of looking at your bank statement. So don't look at your bank statement to beat yourself up about all the extra money that you spent that you know you shouldn't have done. This is an opportunity for you to grab some highlighter pens and go through your bank statement and have a look at, is your spending in alignment with your values? Is your spending in alignment with your values? Because if there's an, a misalignment there, that's how you can manage money better. Mm, yeah, that's great. 
and and turning that on its head in some ways too um we do a fair bit of values exercises with people in business in order to kind of determine where they're at in the business and what they value and and when when they get stuck on well i'm not really sure uh, what i do is i say well what do you spend money on because mm. that you know what they spend money on without thinking a lot about it um, gives a lot of hints around their values so for example if somebody spends a lot of money on exercise equipment going to the gym so for me you know their health and fitness is obviously a big value for them that that's the behavior gives gives you the tip of what the value is and and then you know to your point in saying well i spent all this money on books um, and i feel guilty about it because external expectations whoever that might be um say so you haven't bought another book have you um, then you know that's that's the wrong way to look at it it's kind of like you know learning is so important books yeah and so that really is the consistency with values yeah what we spend is what we value and what we save is what we seek hmm. i love it i have to remember that one. <laughs> All right, Catherine, well, this is fabulous. I think we could go on talking ages about money and mindset, but um, I know you've got a book coming up. We'll talk about that in a moment, so I won't, um, won't uh, take away the excitement of that book and um, suggest that the listener goes and purchases that when it becomes available to read. So I think now is a good time to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round and it's the same for five questions that I ask of every guest so that I have something to compare from episode to episode. Um, the idea is that you'll share some tips from your experience that'll inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result. Great. What's the number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative? The number one thing I think that people should do to be more innovative is to get comfortable with imperfection. Hmm. And the reason that that's so powerful for me is that coming from a people pleaser, uh, a kind of recovered <laughs> people pleaser, um, you know, this is about being comfortable with imperfection. It's often the small steps of imperfection which create innovation. They create new ideas. They create mm. confidence in our ability to not just create the innovation and create the ideas, but actually follow them through. So for me, it's about stepping out of that place of, trying to get things perfect before we get started and actually just be more comfortable to go with the ebbs and flows of business and life because, you know, in, in every aspect of our life, whether it's money, whether it's health, whether it's our relationships, whether it's growing our business and creating new innovative ideas, we have to learn to just ride with the ebbs and the flows, not control the ebbs and the flows, but be trusting that sometimes things happen for a reason at a specific time and just trusting that that's okay and letting go of that need to get everything perfect. Yeah, I love it. One of my guests in, in a recent episode said, think of everything as an experiment. And I thought, well, that's great. You know, like you, I'm a recovering perfectionist <laughs> and a people pleaser. And the idea, of, and and a scientist as well. So the idea of thinking of, things as an experiment saying okay we're have, going to have this experiment and it might not work or you know the result might not be what i predicted is but that's okay um, because we learn from that so 
I thought that was a nice reframe. That's a great way of looking at it. The other thing that really helped me, Jürgen, was that one of my very first mentors said something to me that just changed the way that I looked at how I innovate in my business. And he said to me, imagine that every single piece of content that you're creating your business is an asset. And I was like, all of a sudden, wow. So, you know, rather than waking up in the morning thinking, oh God, I've got to do another Facebook Live and I really don't want to do it today. I was like, no, because this is an asset that I'm creating in my business. And that reframe of the perception of seeing it as a task to actually, this is a way for you to innovate, um, you know, creativity in your business that really helped to change my whole belief and mindset around content creation. Mm, yeah, that's that's brilliant. And I recently had a similar experience. And I, I mean, I kind of had this belief for a long time that everything you create in terms of content is an asset. Um, but the other day, I was like feeling a little flat late in the day and reflecting back on, okay, what did I achieve today? And I kind of thought, okay, I've done three podcast recordings, but I really haven't achieved anything. And I actually said, I actually used that language i said hang on there's three really valuable assets i've produced today along with some other people um, so that's huge oh good for you yeah i definitely got a lot better about myself <laughs> i definitely feel like that on some days as well being a podcaster myself it's like have i actually done anything today and then i'm like oh my yeah. goodness i've just connected with like some amazing people <laughs> mm. right okay what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas Ooh. I think probably most recently, the the most innovative concept that we've come up in our business is is really helping to innovate the financial services profession. The financial services profession, particularly in this country, is still very centered around products. And so we created an online 12-month certification program that helps to train financial professionals how they can learn more about uh, helping clients with their limiting beliefs around money, which is quite odd in the financial services market. You know, it's, it's still very male dominated over here. Most financial advisors are in their 50s and 60s. And so really for us to go out and kind of talk about the psychology of money was a bit like, what? Like, what is, how do I make money from this? Um, so, you know, we've, we've trained over a hundred financial professionals in the last 12 months and that's probably been the most innovative piece of work that we focused on recently is how do we help more people to have a better relationship with money? Actually, by to do that, we need to go into the financial services profession, which is my background anyway, um, and actually help more of those financial advisors for them to have an impact on all of the clients that they manage in their portfolios. And that will in, in turn sort of help us to serve our mission. Mm, yeah, that's fabulous. And we've talked a lot about money mindset, so I think that that can certainly have a huge difference. All right, do you have a favorite resource you use most often? Oh, goodness, so many. Like, I, I, I read books a lot, so Audible is my best friend right now. Like, I go, for, <laughs> I go on a walk with my dog. In fact, I mustn't say that too loud because she'd probably hear me next door and be like, what? Mm. Um, but we go for a walk every morning, so I'm always, like, listen on twice speed uh one and a half to two times speed on audible every morning so i do love i do love my audible collection podcasts equally 
Um, it, it's one of those two things, podcasts or mm. audible books. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? I, I, I'm always listening to audio books or podcasts and I listen at two speeds. Sometimes I can crank it up to two point. He's <laughs> talking slowly. Um, but like you, I actually got Mike McCullough's book. We'll have to give him a shout out. Um, I actually got his book as an audio book and started listening. And I think I got about an hour into it and I thought, I have to buy the physical book. It's one that I don't have that many physical books I buy these days because it's either an audio book or a Kindle book. But I thought, no, I've got to get the physical book for this one. <laughs> this is really important. Yeah, he's got some, God, he must have like over 20 books now I think he's published. Like he's a crazy yeah, just author. Did, just did a new one. I can't recall its name now. But get, Was it Get Marketing or something like that I think it was? Um no, it was best. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> I was literally we'll po we'll posted in the show notes. We'll get, <laughs> get the information posted in the show notes. All right. What's the best way to keep a client on track? That's a really interesting one. So for me, I'm a big believer. I actually don't think accountability works. So a lot of people will talk about accountability, holding their clients accountable. I think if a client is motivated enough for change, then they'll motivate themselves. So I think the best way to help a client is actually to make sure that when we're working with clients, that the actions that they are choosing is based on their own self-motivation, not the motivation of the, the coach or the mentor. I'm a really big believer in that because otherwise, if I tell somebody what to do and they're not particularly motivated, I always ask them this question, like, how motivated do you feel to implement this on a scale of one to 10? And if that's not a 10, or close to a 10, then we change the action. Hmm. Yeah, and, and self-motivation is really powerful, isn't it? And if, it's, if there's something that's not working there and you say, well, this is what you should be doing, and it comes back to that, we should, right? Yes, absolutely. No shoulding, no shoulding. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Do you know, I was thinking about this ahead of today's um, interview, and I actually kind of thought we need to stop trying to differentiate towards something new and actually differentiate away from something old. And what I mean by that is to differentiate away from any negative influences from our past, things that we're holding on to will allow us to become who we truly are rather than following a prescribed identity that's either come from family influences or society. So I think actually it's more about stop trying to differentiate yourself because you are you. No one can be you. You know, often when we say, how do we differentiate ourselves? Then the first thing that we're doing by saying that is comparing ourselves. Yeah, good point. So stop comparing yourself and step into who you are because no one can be you. Even if you are offering the same product or service as, as the company next door to you. Your differentiator is you, so we need to stop differentiating. Maybe I need to rephrase that question some, but because I think one of, one of the um, well, I mean, a lot of people give an answer that brings that theme in: be yourself, or um, and and I often think, well, that requires some self awareness. So embracing who you are and playing to your strengths, I think, is is the big one there. So okay, I'm unique because I do these things, because I have this background, because I've had these experiences. 
And of course, if you wrap up every experience you've had and everything you've learned and everything you've done and every bit of knowledge that you have, then nobody else has all that wrapped up. So how do you bring that all out in one package? Yeah, yeah. And I love, you know, I love that stepping into who you are. I think sometimes, though, that question, as you say, like, who are you? It's such a big one, isn't it? Like, who are you? Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like one of those lifelong questions that we're always on this 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 voyage. Yeah, it is. I, I do this exercise that um, it's actually a real fun exercise, but you've got to be in, we, we kind of set the scene and it's almost a, a meditation type thing, put people into an appropriate state. And then we actually say that, who are you? And, you know, you might say, well, I'm Catherine. And then I'd say, yes, you're Catherine and who are, and you're so much more than, that's right. It's, it's, yes, you're Catherine and you're so much more than that. Who are you? You know, and you just keep doing that and either record it or make notes. And that kind of brings up, wow, there's all this thing, you know, and, and people, if they're relaxed and they engage in the exercise, there's a whole lot of stuff comes out there that, you know, they don't necessarily bring to their conscious awareness all the time. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, like there's there's a couple of great books around this. Like Untamed is a great book to read to find just to, to discover more about yourself, and also The Artist Way, which is a book written by a lady called Julia Cameron. Um, that's a great place to start because journaling, you know, particularly in the morning when she talks about writing morning pages, mm. uh, is really where you can tap into those unconscious beliefs and your unconscious mind before it's kind of had a chance to wake up and start to be conscious again (laughs) (laughs) yeah before the filters kick in (laughs) love it all right well thanks Catherine. this has been really fabulous now where can people find out more about you maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared today and also i know you've got a book launching on 9th of december so tell us about that yeah, thank you so much, Jurgen. I'm really excited actually because um, this is my very first solo book, um, and this is a, a culmination of a few years' worth of my best work. And it's really about money, looking at it through a trauma-informed lens. Um, so this is about three steps to becoming a wealthy woman. The book's called "It's Not About Money." Um, and actually, as you're listening to this, if you want to jump on our waitlist to get a free copy of the book that comes out on my 40th birthday on the 9th of December, 2021, then you can come over to itsnotaboutthemoney.com forward slash book. Excellent. That's wonderful. So we'll post that link in the show notes and people can jump on that that waiting list for the book. And then when you get notified on the 9th of December that the book is launched and it's available for you to purchase, you can also contact Catherine and wish her a happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Finally, Catherine, um, well, two more questions. What, what parting advice would you like to leave our listener with today? Well, first of all, don't record a podcast while your puppy is next door <laughs> wanting to go for this a walk. So my puppy's, <laughs> puppy's wanting to go for a walk now. It's time to listen to the audio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my first tip. The second thing I think is really just to think about, you know, bringing some awareness to your relationship with money and separating your sense of self from money. That's the most powerful thing that you can do for yourself is to think about how you can separate who you are away from money. Mm, I love it. All right. And finally, then, who else should I get on this show and why? Oh, so looking forward to you asking me this question. So 
two people that I'd really recommend. Um, Caroline Strawson, who is an incredible lady. Um, she is going out in the world um, and helping people to focus on their trauma. So she specifically actually helps people around trauma and also narcissistic abuse, which, you know, when we think about finances, there can be experiences in people's life where they have been limited in some way because of bad relationships, um, narcissism, all sorts of things that really hold people back. So Caroline Strawson has an incredible um, story to share there. And then the second person is Anna Parker Naples. She's the podcast queen. Um, and again, she has a huge mission. She has an incredible story actually about how she was literally almost left. She was in a wheelchair um, and thought she'd never walk again. And then she was like a year later walking the Hollywood carpets in, in the audio world. Um, and so she helps entrepreneurs to get visible with their work. Right. All right. Well, that's two fascinating stories. I look forward to, we'll get you to introduce us to both Caroline and Anna and we'll reach out to them and look forward to those conversations. So thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights with us so generously on the Innova Buzz podcast today. Um, I've really enjoyed this, Catherine, and really learned a lot about money mindset. There's so much gold in what we learned today, and I'm looking forward to sharing this with my audience. So all the best for the future, and let's keep in touch. And I think um, you know, we'll have to let you go so you can listen to the audiobooks and take your puppy for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my apologies about that i thought she was asleep next door i thought i was safe well, <laughs> thank you so much for having me again. to be on the podcast obviously <laughs> <laughs>I hope you enjoyed that really engaging and insightful conversation with Catherine and took something away from her episode Catherine's clear explanations around money mindset and her tips to do simple things to provide safety were some of the highlights for me. I'd love to know what you took away from Catherine's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Catherine Morgan. That is C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-M-O-R-G-A-N. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Catherine Morgan. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Catherine, as well as links to the Money Panel website, to her social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in today's conversation. If you like this episode, please do share it with many other people that it might help, and tag me in on that share so that I can reach out to you with a special thank you. Catherine suggested that we have a conversation with trauma-informed therapist and coach Caroline Strawson and with Anna Parker-Naples, the podcast queen, on a future InnovaBuzz podcast. So, Caroline and Anna, keep an eye on your inboxes for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Catherine Morgan. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast where we've got more fantastic guests lined up, including perfectionism coach Audrey Holst of Fortitude and Flow and business owner and investment advisor Lane Kawoka. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. 
leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.